helps you. The war room can help you stand firm, just like it did the, er- the early church in Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. They entered the war room. And it was the three events that I preached on last week that led them there. Do you remember those events? Gospel deeds, gospel preaching, gospel standing. These three events led to the war room. And now we're going to enter the war room with them. We're going to talk about the contents of the war room, beginning in verse 23. When they were released, that's referring to Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your servant, your our father David, your servant, said about the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your word, Father, will fulfill the purpose for which it was sent. That these scriptures are not the word of man, they are your very word from your mouth, that you inspired through your Holy Spirit, through the vessels of of human flesh. And so, Father, we we don't come to this time lightly. I don't approach your word lightly. And so we need the Holy Spirit to come. We need him to come and to take these words and apply it to our hearts, apply it to our families. We cannot do anything apart from him. We can have all the technology. We can have all the skills. We can have all the strategies. We can know all the right people. We can have friends in high places and low places. But if your spirit don't move, nothing happens, Father. Lives are not changed. People are not set free. People are not healed of their brokenness and their addictions apart from the movement of your spirit in them. So we need to be filled with the same Holy Spirit. Not just this church. Every church, every believer needs to be filled with the Spirit's power to continue to press on to be the people you want us to be. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will use this time to bring glory to our Lord and Savior. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The apostles Peter and and John were the ones involved with the three events that that led the early church into the war room. You see, it was their gospel deeds to the lame beggar that opened the door to gospel preaching to the mass of people. And their 
preaching to the mass of people opened the door to their gospel standing before the Jewish high court. So don't forget these events because the church still has to do them. They did not die out with the apostles. Gospel preaching, gospel teaching, or preaching, and gospel standing. All of them led the church to the war room. And so after the high court released Peter and John, they went back to the church. They went back to their friends, and they told them, this is what happened to us. After we did this gospel deed and after we preached the gospel, we had to stand on the gospel before the high court and give an account for why we did what we did. And when they heard this, they led them into the war room. It led them to their knees. The verse says, when they heard it, when the church heard these words, they lifted their voices to God together and prayed. The church's natural response was to pray. It wasn't a secondary response. It was natural. They praised God, and then they entered the war room after they heard the report from the apostles. They entered the war room together as a corporate body, as a body. Corporately, they praised God, and corporately, they prayed together as one body. There is something that the church today can learn from the early church when it comes to prayer, corporate prayer, praying as a body. We may need to follow in their footsteps. Prayer should be our natural response without second thought. It should be the first responder of the Christian church whenever we see the brokenness in the world, and when the world stands against us, our first response should be prayer. But is it? Is prayer your first responder? Or do you run to the nearest politician, to the nearest news channel, to your social media outlet? Or do you ever bend your knee? Or do you worry? Do you plan? Do you make strategies? What's your first response? when life falls apart for you. When you see death, when you see brokenness, what's your first response? What is it? The elders and deacons uh, of our church, we, we strive to meet together each Sunday morning for prayer. And it's our war room time. And honestly, for me, it's spiritual warfare to get here every Sunday. You would think I'm coming anyway. you think I would just come early. But it's hard, if we're honest with ourselves, to pray. It's hard. It's easy to make plans than to bend our hearts and to bend our knees in prayer. And so I ask you, please pray for your elders and deacons that we will come each Sunday to the war room because we have to be praying over you for this church, for this community. And I encourage each of you as, 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 as individuals, even when in your families, in your small groups, pray for this church for our city, for our country, for our mission. Bend our knees before God. Make it our first response. We have to. Several years ago, I, I, I participated in a, an event called Revival Prayer in a church in Birmingham. And we prayed for eight hours. Now, we did have breaks, but it was a great time of crying out to God, showing our dependency upon him. Because we have to pray like this, lifting our voices to him. We cried out to God in the war room, wanting him to move. 
And so the war room is where we can fight the spiritual warfare that we're in. You got to know you're in spiritual warfare, even if you can't see it. You're in it. You're in it. As Beth Moore says, we fight it from our knees. And the early church understood the necessity of prayer, the importance of the war room. So they went in. And the content of their prayer began with these words, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Before they made any requests, any intercession, any supplication in the war room, they addressed God and approached him in a certain way. Sovereign Lord. There are two Greek terms in the New Testament used for, for Lord. The first is kurios, that means to acknowledge the, the, the authority of one's lordship. It's, it's a reference to one who is in a position of authority. And the second one is depotes, which means to have complete authority, unchecked authority, absolute power, unlimited power, unrestricted power. Which one you think is being used here in this prayer? The second one. The second one. They're saying Yahweh has absolute power. Yahweh has absolute authority. Yahweh has unlimited power in this world. There's no authority higher than him. And so the early church entered the war room with God's omnipotence on their mind. They went into the war room seeing him as this God who is, has all authority. And they did not lose sight of that in the midst of their struggles. He is the absolute supreme being in the universe. He alone is sovereign Lord. But do you believe this when you go into your war room? Who is Yahweh when you go into your war room? Who is he? Who do you believe God is? Because what you believe about God determines how you pray to him how you function in the war room. This is why theology is important, people. What do you believe about God? Is he sovereign Lord when you enter the war room? Who is in your daily life, in your prayer life, in your family? Is he sovereign Lord? In the basement of the west wing of the White House, there is a 5,525-square-foot 5, 5, conference room, an intelligent room known as the Situation Room. It was created in 1961 by uh, JFK. And the mission of the Situation Room is to provide intelligence to the president on a 24-hour basis. They monitor everything that goes on abroad and in, in our country when it comes to national security. And so your war room has to function this way. It has to be your situation room where you take to the Lord everything that involves your life, everything that you go through, the good times, the bad times. You deal with it in your situation room with Jesus. But do you? But do you? And here's the thing. When you enter this war room, there's only one commander in chief. And it's not you. Not the village church. Not your pastor. It's not your elders, it's not your nation, it's not our denomination, it's not any one particular group of people. It's Yahweh Elohim is still commander-in-chief in the war room. 
but it means you pray to him on his terms. His terms. These words, sovereign Lord, communicate what many call a big God theology. A big God theology. Dr. Anthony Bradley says, a big God theology is a theology that tells the story of God who is sovereign over every aspect of redemptive mission, which includes calling his people to himself and setting all things right in his creation so the entire universe will fulfill its intended purpose and design. Do you have a big, big God theology? Or do you have a small God theology? Many believers in our beloved country have a small God theology in the way they function, in the way they live their life. Think about it. How do you respond when things happen in our nation? How did you respond to the Supreme Court decision? How did you respond through the Planned Parenthood videos? How do you respond when you see the things that the cops do? How do you respond? Is it small God theology or big God theology? So if you have a small God theology, that means you function as if God is not sovereign in this world, that somehow he's losing control over his creation, that somehow he's falling asleep on the job, that somehow things are happening in our world that are outside his control, that somehow the evil and sinful agendas of this world somehow is going to undermine his purposes. I got to tell you, if he can handle what Adam and Eve did, If he can work that into the good, he can work good no matter what goes on in our world. Again, who is God? Is he a big God or is he a small God in your life? Not here on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about in your day-to-day life, in the places where you really live. Who is God? Who is he? Do you believe God was caught off guard by what happened to Peter and John? Remember, they preached the gospel, they healed someone, they got arrested. Was Yahweh surprised? Well, I didn't know that was going to happen. No, he was not surprised. He's not caught off guard. And neither is he caught off guard by the things that you go through in your life, in this country, around the world. He knows our God is a big God. The early church understood this. They had a big God theology. They said, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, and who spoke through the mouth of our Father, your servant, by the Holy Spirit. This verse shows us three things that God does as Sovereign Lord. Three things he does. He made, he spoke, and he sent. What did he make? He made the heavens. He made the earth. He made everything in them. For he is creator of all things. The basic thing about God, he's creator. He made it. And as creator, he's in control over this world. Even though it's sinful and broken because of the fall and sin, this is still our father's world. And I said this to you before. You got to understand, when it comes to God and the devil, they're not superhero against supervillain. Please know that. The enemy is beneath God still. It's here. I mean, it's never here. 
Never. And so God is never in jeopardy of losing control over his world. He's never in jeopardy of losing his grip, his role, his control over the universe. ISIS cannot loosen his grip. They cannot stop the gospel going forth throughout the world. The Supreme Court decision does not loosen his grip. Planned Parenthood videos don't loosen his grip. Racism and injustice does not loosen his grip. He is still working. He is still moving. We got to believe that. In the midst of the brokenness, he is moving, working his plan. And like I said, if he can handle what Adam and Eve did, that jacked up everything, he can handle what we are going through. And he is handling it. We just got to believe and pray it. He is sovereign Lord. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Do you know, do you believe that? Do you believe that? That our God is currently doing what he pleases in the midst of the brokenness. Do you believe that? When you enter the war room, you got to recognize who's the boss. You got to recognize that he's still creator. It's still his world. Second, the prayer shows us that, that he spoke through King David, his servant by the Holy Spirit. This part of prayer, uh, prayer means that he is author of scripture. So the words that David spoke here in this psalm, that, that we're going to get into that next week, is Yahweh's words. The Bible is his word, not the word of man. And there's great power in his word. It is truth without error. God himself says in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, As the rain and snow came down from heaven and do not return there, but waters the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it would accomplish that for which I sent it. But do you believe that? It is accomplishing it still. Even if we don't believe, God is going to work his purpose. He's going to work his plan. His word will not return to him void. These words are still active and true in our time. And believers with a big God theology know this. And they embrace it in the war room when they're praying. When you you have the sovereign view of God, you pray with confidence. Not fear. Not doubt. You pray with confidence, expecting him to move and work. Now, he might not come when you want him, but he's going to come. And he might not come in the form that you want him to come, but he'll come. Again, what you believe about him will impact what you pray and how you pray and how you approach him in the war room. Big God. The world's brokenness and sin will never dethrone our God. He will remain the king on the hill. And sin will not knock him off. Your brokenness won't knock him off. Your disobedience won't knock him off. And the evilness of man will not knock him off his throne. Ever. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. 
even the pagans is under that sovereignty. They might not, they don't even know it, but they're under it because they're still created in his image and they're part of his creation. And so as American Christians, we got to have a big God theology. A big God theology. That when we look at our country and we see what has happened, we're like, my God got that. My God can handle this. He's going to work this to the good somehow. And I'm going to believe that. Third, the press shows us that he sent. Who did he send? Verse 25, it says, King David was Yahweh's servant. And many of you know that, that God chose David to be the king over Israel. David was a man after God's own heart. And even though he fell, he was still a man after God's own heart. And see, the kings of Israel were intended to be servants of Yahweh who ruled and governed over his people in wisdom and in truth. Also in the Old Testament, God sent other servants to his people, the priests and the prophets. And all of these men in these offices, prophet, priest, and king, were sent to God's people to rule and govern, disciple them in truth. But some failed, some made mistakes. In the book Return of the King, Gandalf meets this uh, woman in the house of healing who tells him these words concerning the king. She says, the hands of the king are hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. The hands of the king are hands of a healer. See, Yahweh sent the kings and prophets and priests to be hands of healing for his people, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. Because through his death, many sinners are healed from their sin and brought into a relationship with the Father. The Father sending Jesus to die on the cross is proof and evidence that he loves this broken world. That he loves sinners. Because remember, Christ didn't die for friends. He died for enemies. And so if you want forgiveness of your sins, if you don't know Jesus, then the only way you're going to be made right, the only way you're going to be made right with God is by having faith in him. And that is surrendering your life to him in faith. Now the sovereign Lord is sending out his servants to be hands of healing. And that includes you. You are now his servants as well. The church is filled with people who are his servants. And we can be hands of healing in this broken world. And so when you enter the world room, you need to embrace these things about God. Yahweh Elohim is sovereign Lord. It is shown in the fact that he is creator of all things. He's the author of scripture. And he sends servants into the world to display his goodness. So when you enter the war room this week, know who you're praying to. Our God is not a statue. Our God is not an idol. He is real, people. But you have to believe it. I know you know it here, intellectually, but you got, it had to sink down into your soul where you believe it. Where you don't have to walk in fear. You don't have to walk in shame. You don't have to walk in guilt and worry. You can step out in confidence. That even in my suffering and in my hardships and my disappointments, that my God is able. That he's able to move on my behalf. 
And so my prayer for each of you and myself this week is that we will believe that Yahweh Elohim is sovereign in our lives. Let us pray. Father, you know what we go through as your people. You know our loss. You know our disappointments. You know our suffering. You know, Lord, our bad health at times, our broken relationships. You know these things. And as your, as your word tells us, you have not forsaken those who seek you. And so my prayer for the Phyllis Church, Lord, is that we will step out in confidence, not in ourselves, but confidence in our God who is sovereign. And as the song says, that you are faithful, Lord. Holy Spirit, help our unbelief. Help my unbelief. Help us to believe that our God would fight for us. And that would give us confidence to continue to move forward and press forward. So be with your bride here. Be with your bride throughout the world. Be with the church that suffers now. Be with those who are hurting and broken. And help us to bear witness to your goodness to a dying and broken world this week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close out our service? Testing, testing. Come on, let's sing it. Come on and bless the Lord with me. Bless the Lord with me. Sing, bless the Lord.
watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like the people of God. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please greet one another.